I actually think what's unique about having a multi-generational team, for example, is that you are in such different places. Like if you're working with someone who's 50 years old and has, you know, decades under their belt, um, they're not really trying to meet the same goals that you are. And I think that's really freeing because you can tap into them to support you knowing that they're not secretly trying to get where you're going. When I worked at a media company where my manager was 10 or less fewer years than older than me, it was very palpable that they were kind of out for the same thing. And those were the really disappointing moments where I just felt like they're not here to train me or to make me a better version of myself. They're actually just kind of here out for themselves and uh, the team success just helps them get to their next stage of their career. Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, where we explore the hidden side of modern work, help you turn procrastination into job search motivation, and teach you how to stress less, earn more, and change careers with confidence. My name is Martin McGovern, founder and lead coach at Career Therapy, and I'm excited to introduce our guest today. Please welcome Charlotte Jap to the podcast. Charlotte is the founder of Circle, C-I-R-K-E-L, a company that connects older and younger professionals for mutual, personal, and professional growth. She was named one of Next Avenue's 2020 Influencers in Aging and a 2020 Gen to Gen Innovation Fellow. She has been featured in publications like the New York Times and has spoken internationally about the magic of connecting generations. In today's episode, we talk about the dangers of intergenerational conflict, the difficulties of having it all, how priorities change throughout our lives, and the one thing that unites everyone, no matter what age you are. Thank you for tuning in and supporting our show. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes to feed the algorithm and share these conversations with more folks like you. Now grab a cup of coffee or tea and settle in for my conversation with Charlotte. You know, there's so much to learn from other generations. And I think the way that social media is skewed and the way that conversations are skewed, it almost pits everyone against each other. Uh, Generations are pitted against each other. You've got the like the okay boomer, you've got, uh, you know, the articles about Gen Z and how they're just like, oh, you know, and all that stuff. And the millennials are like, where do I fit in all this? Uh, So I'm kind of curious, you know, in the, in just the sort of you know, social media landscape um, that I know that you, you are contributing a lot of great stuff to what is in the vernacular in, in the world, but what is sort of your view of where we're getting it right with the generation conversation and where we might be going a little bit wrong? Yeah, I think the generation conversation is hard and it's so based on like who you're talking to because I've spoken to some people about the work we're doing at Circle um, who really are so resentful to older generations and are are just feeling like it's our turn, it's our time. They've taken so much, they've got it so good. Like it's really uh, all about us now and we need to sort of like, you know, it's zero sum, you know, take away from the older generations, give to the younger ones. And I don't think it's a zero-sum game. Um, So there are definitely people who fall into the OK Boomer category um, who I think are really struggling. And I I feel that struggle as young people. I think we have had it pretty tough. If you look at just the price of college going up and student loans going up, and it's just, it's kind of brutal from like an economic perspective. But then you also have these 
um, kind of on the other side of the spectrum, you have people who are working in offices without generational diversity, and they're really missing the guidance and the support that comes with a multi-generational office and, and work life. And so in that sense, you're reminded, you know, how much you can actually get from connecting with older professionals. Um, and then it doesn't need to be a zero sum game. When we bring our skills and our experiences together, you'll realize that they're really complementary and they don't compete really with each other, um, but we can kind of fill in the gaps across generational lines. So that's really like the root basis of what Circle is trying to do and, and what I talk about a lot. Um, I just hope people kind of move away from the OK Boomer rhetoric and open up a little bit to the possibilities of a multi-generational workforce. Yeah, and it's and it's not even really, you know, at a certain point, it's not so much a choice. Like you have to learn how to deal with people. I think that that's one of the big things that people maybe lose sight of at different points in their career where it's like, um, you know, there is sort of that natural tendency, tribal tendency that humans have to like be around people that are like them, right? And with the push for diversity, with the push for, you know, all these different um, new sort of environments that, that we're trying to build in the, in the workforce, you know, one of the best skills you can have is the ability to be adaptable and to be able to work with anyone, right? And so if you're not cultivating that skill, you're actually missing out on a lot of opportunity and a lot of potential growth and a lot of different things. And, you know, I know personally, if it wasn't for the fact that I sat down and had coffee with like 10 to 15 people who were 10, 20 years ahead in their career than I was in my first job, I'd probably still be working, you know, at a credit card company right now. And, uh, but I sat down with those people and I asked like, what is your life like? What are you excited about? What do you enjoy about this role? And it was honestly a very sad series of conversations, but it taught me a lot about like <laughs> what to look at in my life and like what to expect uh, long-term and how to sort of think about things um, and not just like how much money can I make right now, but like, where is this all going in, in the long-term? And I know you've had some really interesting experiences with that, but what were some of your earliest maybe conversations with people who were not in your generation? How did that inform the way that you thought? Well, a lot of my outlook comes from my experience. Um, I guess you could date this all the way back to being a kid growing up as basically an immigrant family. So we moved to the U.S. when I was two, but my parents were German and English, and we didn't have family around, um, you know, to sort of have a larger sense of um, place in the U.S. and in New York. Um, so when I grew up also, my parents kind of brought this more European sensibility to family life and that we always ate dinner together. They, they had their friends over, uh, and invited us, the younger kids to come and like be part of it. And so I grew up really appreciating time spent with older people, um, and seeing them in a really positive way, because these were interesting European friends who worked in the arts and were really funny and like just great people to be around. So I didn't really grow up with this, like children, you know, eat dinner at six and the parents eat dinner at eight. And we have certain standards for like these different generational lines in the household. Um, but what's really interesting. And I think where this all comes to head was when I was in my first job, which was at a media company 
And the average age was 28 years old. So it was really young and there wasn't a lot of age diversity at all because it was very focused on being a millennial place to work for a millennial audience. And um, I realized that when I got hired, I wasn't going to be trained or mentored or, you know, assigned a mentor. Um, onboarding was really just about filling out HR forms for insurance and, you know, the employee contract and things like that. Um, so that was a sort of light bulb, also little alarm moment where it was like, oh no, I don't know how to do this work. You know, I graduated with a liberal arts degree. Like, how do I know that I'm approaching this the right way? And that was when I was really grateful that I lived with my parents again after college because they were my sort of secret weapon coaches, mentors, um, in addition to being, you know, obviously my parents. So I think those conversations were really impactful and they had obviously been through the ringer of corporate life in the US and had understood ways that you need to buck up and really defend yourself or advocate for um, you know, what you wanna be working on at the office, um, the help that you need, just things that I didn't feel comfortable doing. And I don't think I would have um, you know, gotten some of the raises that I got or the promotions or even just gotten the projects that I wanted to work on if it weren't for my parents really nudging me along and saying like, ask for it, you know, raise your voice, speak up. And that was game changing. So they were the first ones. And then after that, I think similar to what you did, I tried to commit to meeting a new person every week who was more of an expert in a field I wanted to learn about. And then oftentimes that was someone older um, because you just, you know, you're never done learning. You got to keep expanding your, your toolkit. And uh, chances are the people that you need to learn from um, might be older than you. Yeah, it, it is so true because there's wisdom in experience, right? And if, you know, you're just hanging out with a bunch of people your age, you're all, it, there was a podcast we did recently where someone was like, you know, if you want to go to the gym to build muscle, you probably should go with someone who understands how to lift weights. You know, you shouldn't just go with your other friend who both of you have never been to a gym and be like, we're going to probably hurt ourselves, you know? So the more exposure you can get to people with different ideas and, and more experience, the, the better. And, you know, there's certain ways that, uh, you know, I love the way that you're fostering those conversations, but there's a lot of ways that people can do it personally in group environments and all sorts of different ways. I think, you know, one of the things I did was join like professional organizations. I thought that was really helpful and being on boards and things like that. But again, that was all uh, sort of encouraged by my parents as well. Uh, you know, like get involved, get in, you know, meet people. And so I'm curious for you, as you were growing up, you said you grew up in New York, right? Yeah. How much do you think the sort of busyness of New York and the just sort of like, you know, culture explosion that's there of everyone just sort of going in and out of there, the, there's just such a variety in New York. How much do you think that shaped your sort of mentality around things, the area that you grew up in? New York was such a teacher in individualism, I feel for me. Like, I think it was really unique that I was taking the bus to school by my, you know, like a New York City bus to school at um, like 12 years old or 13 years old, you know, probably earlier than um, maybe someone in the suburbs coming to the city would ever let their child like do on their own. Um, and I think the realization that I was in such a cool, uh, cosmopolitan place really urged me along to explore 
And I remember feeling almost like cabin fever sometimes being at home, you know, with my <laughs> being, you know, in my room or whatever, and just knowing that there was so much happening in the city. And I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to go out there. I wanted to see the people uh, go to concerts, like all the things that I was probably too young to be doing. Um, but when I was old enough to finally like get out there, I took it upon myself to visit the museums, go to the concerts. Um, I took like weekend classes at Parsons to learn graphic design. Um, all these little moments that for me were like really building the person that I've become. And I think knowing that the city was there and maybe I didn't have friends who were interested in the same thing. I was like, all right, I'm just gonna go out there and explore it. And, um, and I really feel like that's what your kind of teens are about. Like really coming into yourself and understanding what you love the things that give you energy, um, you know, understanding, is this a field I want to work in? Like all these little details that actually make a lot of sense later um, as I've actually like gone into work and a lot of the things that I was exploring as a teenager in New York. Um, so I'm really grateful to it. I think it was such a teacher to me. Um, and I still live here and people ask me, are you ever going to leave? And I'm like, I don't know, I guess I'm open, but like no other city has really called me in the same way <laughs> yeah it's so fascinating because it does it fosters that sort of fearlessness right and that um encourages you to just like try things out and be courageous and learn who you are and I think sometimes you know depending on where you grow up I grew up in the Chicago suburbs so you know a little bit sheltered but at least we got into the city sometimes <laughs> and like right um, but there is this sort of like fear that gets fostered when you're not in situations where you're being challenged, where you're being forced to learn, where you're being confronted by people that aren't like you, right? And I think what you're talking about there, and, and maybe that fearlessness is what allowed you to be able to go and build something like Circle, where you're connecting these generations. Because when I think about what we talked about earlier, that zero-sum game and the generations sort of being pitted against each other online and in person and things like that, when you really dig into it, the the in my mind, what's behind that animosity is a fear. It's a fear of not being able to have a certain life or a fear of not, um, and the fear exists on both ends, right? Like in, in the older generations, maybe they're afraid that they're going to lose things or things are going to be taken away. And then the younger generations that they'll never get those things in the first place. But I'm curious, what are your thoughts around how fear plays into um, people's ability to connect and, and to reach out to one another. I think what's interesting is that when people look at generations working together, they assume there's a lot of competition. And I actually think what's unique about having a multi-generational team, for example, is that you are in such different places. Like if you're working with someone who's 50 years old and has you know decades under their belt um they're not really trying to meet the same goals that you are like if you're maybe a 25 year old or a 30 year old um and and i think that's really freeing because you can tap into them to support you knowing that they're not secretly trying to get where you're going and i think when i worked at a media company where my manager was 10 or less fewer years than older than me um, it was very palpable that they were kind of out for the same thing. 
And when I had a great idea, I was nervous about sharing it because I thought they would take it as their own and not credit me. And those were the really disappointing moments where I just felt like they're not here to train me or to make me a better version of myself. They're actually just kind of here out for themselves and uh, the team success just helps them get to their next, next stage of their career. So I think if you look at that example and what happens when you're working with someone who's just like kind of happy where they are and they want to bring their knowledge to you, um, I think that changes everything where you can start to see them as a, as an ally, as someone that you can be vulnerable with and, and learn from, and then maybe hopefully teach them things as well. Um, but going back to like that kind of macro look at things, like I can't deny that it's really scary. Um, I wrote something um, recently, I haven't like published it or anything. I just wrote it to a small group that we meet every six weeks about generational topics. And um, I, I think it was called like, you know, to have a good life is a math problem. And just the fact that some of these things that we grew up as millennials seeing in our parents' lives, like for example, my parents lived all over the world. They studied acting and fashion design and art and they managed to make a living, no student loan debt, um, came to the US. Like, you know, I grew up thinking that my life ahead was pretty exciting because I saw what my parents had experienced and it was all pretty exploratory and seamless. Um, and again, very like rooted in the individual experience. But then I had a very different outcome. You know, I went to college, it was a really expensive university, graduated with a lot of student loan debt and um, it's really easy to kind of deep dig into that and feel like, well, that's unfair because they had it different. So I think um, this is where the fear probably comes from. And, you know, I think everyone has to kind of work on the abundance mentality rather than a, um, than a, what's the word? Oh my God, I'm forgetting the word of the opposite. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's you the, know, like a the limited, or lack. The, yeah. The lacking mindset. Yeah. Well, and, and let's yeah. dig into that abundance thing, right? Because it really, it really is something that plays a lot of people. And I've been in the same position where it's like, and I think maybe one of the reasons that people struggle um, to be open-minded when it comes to multi-generational conversations is that uh, one of your first experiences is with your parents. And if you listen to how people talk to, about their parents, and I'm guilty of this as well, it's like, uh, you know, there's sort of this sense that they're kind of like and maybe you didn't have this as much in New York but I'm, I'm curious if it resonates at all but like the typical conversation that I hear is like they don't understand how the world works now like they don't understand mm. the environment that I'm in the environment that I'm trying to navigate you know it's like how come you're not married by this date have kids by this date have a house by this date and all these things it's like well there were kind of mm -hmm. like a couple of economic downturns that happened, a pandemic, you know, you know, some people live through, you know, September 11th that, you know, it, like there's a lot of yeah. things that have happened over the course of our lifetime. And, and then, but then if you look at it in the broader sense, it's like, well, we didn't have a world war. We didn't have all these other things. Mm -hmm. And like, so there's so much to take into account. And I think sometimes we get a little myopic, but one of the first experiences that people have is like, being told what to do by their parents, what to study in school, what to um, do as their career. And a lot of people start their careers based off the advice of their parents and then don't enjoy their career. So then they're skeptical of, 
older mm. people telling them what to do, I would think. Um, maybe I'm reaching there, but um, one of the things that people go through in their life is to rebel against the older generations, right? And maybe that plays mm -hmm. into it as well. What are your thoughts on how that sort of those early experiences might shape future experiences and how we can maybe change that mindset? If maybe someone's in their mid twenties and rebelling right now, what should they start thinking about? Well, what's interesting is the boomers, when they were like deemed the boomers, were the post-war generation of teenagers and young people who, you know, there were just so many of them because their parents came back from war and had babies and, you know, it was like a celebration. So um, <laughs> I just think it's funny that the term boomer has become like, uh, you know, it's been rebranded to be this old person, this crotchety like old person who's, you know, getting medicare and all you know the things that are like good in life but um actually they were the rebellious young people when they came up in the world and so i think we forget sometimes that every generation was once young and every generation will one day be old so um i think it's interesting i think there's a um, from the parent child perspective i think there is that stereotype of the hover parent and um, maybe that started with some of the, the boomers to their millennial children, but I think there's also this problem of like the Gen X generation to mm -hmm. the uh, Gen Z children who are even more of the yummy mummy, like the sort of um, following, you know, Instagram moms on like the do's and don'ts of parenting and creating these infrastructure, these structures. But um, I feel lucky that my parents were very much like do what you love and you know, follow our example of just fo following the thread, right? Like these pieces will all align at one point, just do the next step that makes sense for you right now. And that's kind of like, I had that sort of freedom to figure it out. Um, but when, I think when we, when we just kind of blindly listen to anyone else, I think we're sort of doomed because we're not really tuning in to what we need. Um, so I think, you know, we were talking earlier about early career professionals who might be going through their first career transition. And I think the beauty of zooming out is knowing that everyone's going through transitions. Um, and actually those number from what the research I've seen has doubled. It used to be like six career transitions in a lifetime and now we're at 12 basically. Mm. Um, and you can define those, you know, as a career change, like a new job or something. Um, so the transitions are just part of the norm. And if you don't have a good experience, then I think it's so important to take stock of it, right? Write down the cons of your experience, what was not working. And maybe there are some pros that you can take with you into the next decision, the next uh, career stage. So, you know, as much as those are really tough moments, and I think a lot of us are in a tough moment right now. So many of my friends are in some kind of transition. Um, you know, this is all part of life and we just need to take stock of what's working, what's not working as we move on. We interrupt today's episode to let you know about Career Therapy's Unstuck Coaching Program. If you're feeling paralyzed by job search procrastination and unsure of what to do next in your career, we're here to help. Each month as a member, you will get access to two one-on-one -on -one coaching calls, unlimited virtual chat with your coach via Slack, invitations to bi-weekly group coaching sessions, and lifetime access to our eight-part job search curriculum. 
Want to take your search to the next level? Head over to careertherapy.com and schedule a free 15-minute consultation to chat with me today and see if coaching is right for you. Now back to our show. I like that you call out the transition piece because the transitions never stop. I feel like when people are really young and, and what, one of the, I think the best parts about being a career coach, especially at my age, you know, I'm 33 right now and I've been coaching for, uh, you know, five to eight years, depending on how you look at it. Um, when I was still in marketing, I started doing some kind of brand coaching on the side and things like that. But one of the most fascinating things that, um, that I've learned while talking to really young people and, um, you know, talking to older generations is that when someone's like really fresh in their career, they tend to think everything is life or death. They're like, if I don't get this interview, my life is over. If I don't work at, you know, Google, I'm never going to have a career. And then I remember some of the stories that I heard when I was younger, where it was like, oh yeah, my uncle, like basically just got in a, car, in a car and drove around the country for like a year and a half before starting his career. And I'm like, how did they do that? Like, I couldn't even imagine doing that when I was, you know, mm-hmm. 19, 20. And there's these kind of interesting things that happen as you go through your career where you, you learn how, how this is all very fluid everything is very fluid. Careers are not static. Even if you're in the same job for, you look at someone who's been in a job for 30 years and you think, wow, like young people get judgmental. They'll be like, wow, that person never went and adventured and did anything new. And it's like, you don't know what roles they had in that, in that company. They might've had a vast, vast number of like interesting career opportunities just within Mm -hmm. one company. And so there's so much we can learn from these different things. And I think one of the things to keep in mind that um, as we're talking to people who are maybe in their first or second career transition is like our priorities change throughout our lives and our goals change throughout our lives. And one of the ways that I talk about that with people is, you know, I try and simplify it to this, to like the three P's, people, position, and pay. And just those three things can be in wildly different places, depending on where you're at in your life, with kids, with money, with all these different things. But I'm curious, what have you seen in regards to like how priorities change throughout our lives and maybe what should we start thinking about earlier on? Because like, I don't know, I guess what I'm thinking here is like someone who's younger thinks they have it, who thinks they have it all figured out is like, this is what I know I want to do until I'm 80. It's like, but then you talk to people who are in their fifties and sixties and you're like, ah, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know how certain you can be at this age of like what you're going to like in 50 years, you know? Uh, but what have you sort of seen in like the changing priorities um, as we move through these generational, because we're going to go through generational shifts as we age, right? So like, mm-hmm. it's not just young people talking to older people. It's the generational shifts that you go through as a person throughout your life. I'm kind of curious what you've sort of seen. Yeah. I had a really cool meeting with one of our circle members recently. She's in her mid fifties. Um, and well, part of our process is that we onboard everyone individually. So I actually do get to meet a lot of older professionals and hear like, what is the challenge you're having right now? What are you looking to learn or who are you looking to connect with? This one woman, Teresa joined, um, and she 
is a badass. She worked at Kodak during kind of its glory years, even into its demise a little bit and saw some of the mistakes that they made. Um, but what was really interesting about my conversation with Teresa is that she told me, and this is a hotly debated topic, she said, you can have it all, just not at the same time. So especially when you look at that conversation among women who are thinking about having kids and growing a family and how that takes a toll on career, she was like, my whole life has been about career. I'm really focused on learning, growing, um, doing the things that I love, contributing to the world, um, et cetera. And I wasn't going to settle for marrying someone who wasn't going to actually add to my life. I didn't want anyone who might be a detractor or not believe in me. Um, I wanted to just continue like that growth. So she basically, um, and she's in her 50s, so maybe this was really controversial at the time. Now it's maybe more normal. She got married, I think, at 33. And she said from 33 to 37, she just popped out babies. <laughs> she had like three kids. And, um, and she said, like, you know, that was a period for me about family. Like I met someone, I was really excited about our partnership. And, uh, you know, we were in love and had kids and my career wasn't a priority then. So she took time off, um, which is again, a big thing that women are always kind of like debating about how much time should you take off? But she actually took off like 18 years, like really took a break and decided at the end of that period that she wanted to work as a volunteer for a global charity and actually went around the world to all different countries speaking on uh, the importance of education um, and raising money for the organization. And then now is killing it at a tech company um, for she has a really senior role and is totally fulfilled and loves working with the younger employees at the company. And now it's back to work. So I think to what you were saying about like shifting priorities, I think it's okay when we decide that we need to focus on a part of our life that isn't work. And then there are going to be moments that you're like, it's all about my next you know, career position right now. And I'm going to like really focus on getting that promotion or getting a new job. Um, and I think that's something that needs to be talked about more, you know, that kind of okayness with, um, with looking at the next moment um, from the more holistic perspective of life. It's not just about work. Um, the other thing that was really interesting, and I recommend this for anyone who's interested in the, the cross-generational conversation, there's a book called OK Boomer, Let's Talk that came out last year by Jill Filipovich. And she was on a podcast with Ezra Klein. And that podcast was really fascinating because it put um, her, who's a very liberal person in kind of debate slash conversation with a more conservative person about kind of the lifeline and when we're supposed to hit these certain milestones. And I'll, I'll, you know, long podcast short, I'll just say I, the most interesting part was we talked about how previous generations looked at marriage as a uh, keystone and our contemporary generation and world looks at marriage as a capstone. It's something that you have to get all of your ducks in a row, your career, um, your life, your income, your savings, all of that needs to be like in a certain spot before you can allow yourself to get married. Whereas in the past, it's really been just another piece of that journey, you know, it kind of like, it, it's sort of like part of just that growth. So I just want to like offer that perspective. <laughs> I absolutely love what you're bringing up here. Cause it really hits on a number of things that 
if you're only reading, you know, pop articles on LinkedIn, or if you're only reading um, or only listening to people who are exactly your age, you miss out on a lot of this nuance and a lot of this, you know, making it your own, right? Like that story of where she took 18 years and now she's back in the workforce and she's crushing it. Like the narrative that is generally out there is not that. The narrative is if you take any time mm -hmm. off, your career's over. And it's kind of a fear-based narrative again. I think a lot of this stuff comes back to like, what if I don't hit these milestones? Will my life be over? What if I don't do these things? What's going to happen? And it's, it's I, I think your points on marriage here, I need to go listen to that podcast because I just got engaged a couple of weeks ago. So there's a lot of conversations Congrats. about marriage things happening in my, in my life right now. <laughs> um, and I think like, um, I've done a pretty good job of building like a lot of connections in my work life with older folks to be able to talk about career and things like that. And be like, well, wh what are you doing? You're, you know, you're 47, I'm, you know, 28. Like, what are you, what should I be looking out for? I've had those conversations, but we, my partner and I were like, wait a second, we don't have like a ton of people to talk to about like, what's marriage like five years in? what's marriage like 20 years in? what's marriage like, you know, mm -hmm. like we just have our parents and like, no, there's awkwardness there. Right. And so it's like, <laughs> there's, there's so much like interesting stuff to learn, not just in the working world around these things, but in life as a whole. And I love that you talked about that holistic approach there because we really do have to look at the entirety of our lives when making these decisions. Um, because, you know, you see people, if we we're going to fast forward to like the cliche kind of conversation that always happens when ageism and, and work-life balance and all these things come up, it's like at the end of your life, you kind of want to die without regrets, right? So they've done those studies where they ask people like, what do they wish they did more of? And no one said, I wish I worked more. They always say like, I wish I asked right. that person out, or I wish I spent more time with my family, or I wish I did X, Y, and Z. And that's always a great article to go read and, and remind yourself of those things. But um, sometimes, I don't know, we get a little bit like myopic in our thinking, and we kind of lose sight of not only the different things that we're going to want at different times in our lives, but also the ability that we have to control those things and, and to be in the driver's seat of those decisions rather than in like the trunk, you know, um, mm -hmm. where I think so many, you know, I was talking to some folks uh, that I know who got married really young and I was like, well, what do you wish you had done differently? And they, they had a whole list of things. <laughs> I was like, wow, these are fascinating things to learn. And so um, as you're sort of, as you've been talking to people, cause you have this huge community to draw on and you've talked to so many people about their careers, like, is there any sort of consistent takeaway that you've gotten from all these conversations, whether it's, you know, younger people, older people, like what are, what are the typical things that you're sort of seeing as the thing that everyone is going through, no matter where you're at in your life and your career? I'd say everyone is a transitioner, a career transitioner. We tried to figure out like what is the thread that connects all these diverse people across industries, job functions, generations, geographic locations. Um, and I would say everyone is that career transitioner who's thinking about the next move, whether they're 25 or 65, you know, we're all sort of like work is just part of life now. Um, it's not so segment segmented. And the other piece is everyone is a lifelong learner. 
And I think that's super important because that's more obvious for our younger members. But when you look at people over 50, I've, I've kind of seen two, um, you know, a fork in the road with two paths. There are some people who actually find a lot of success, especially on a financial level. And they feel like, oh, you know, I've got this job. Um, I'm pretty senior and I'm an expert in something. So I'm done. I'm just going to like coast. I will sit here. Uh, I'll keep making my salary or maybe they're self-employed, but they're kind of like happy just with the status quo. And then you have people who realize that even if they're in that kind of cushy position that they've always got to keep learning and that that learning can come from all different kinds of sources. So um, I have this funny example from my last job where I, my last full-time job where um, I was kind of doing some interviews to figure out like, what is it like in a kind of corporate structure um, when people work together across ages and I also was just trying to get, you know, advice. What do you think the circle should look like? What should it be? And I spoke to these two guys, one of them in his, I'd say late fifties and one of them in his late twenties and they work together. And the, um, the, I, I'm not sure which one I started with. Maybe it was, um, oh, let's say the older, the older guy, he was saying, oh, you know, like things are good. Like I'm happy. I love my job. I make some good money. Um, you know, I love working with, um, let's call him James, uh, James is great. And I think we have a good kind of multi, like, you know, intergenerational working relationship. And then I interviewed James oh, who boy. was like, let's call him, um, let's call the older gentleman, Jerry. <laughs> Jerry. Like, oh, <laughs> Jerry. <laughs> Jer I'm actually watching Seinfeld. So yeah, <laughs> Jerry. <laughs> He was like, you know, I try to get my work done and I'm really trying to like learn a lot about the business, but Jerry will interrupt me a lot to ask me about Excel or Slack or some tech piece. Um, and it's actually really distracting because I, I really can't get as much work done. And it's so funny to me that like when you, when I was speaking to the older person, he said everything is fine and he's done learning and there's nothing for him to actually learn from younger people. He's just there to teach others. And then clearly, like there is a very specific need um, for that older Jerry guy to be learning, but it's that growth mindset that he's missing out on. So I think those are the, the two kind of consistencies, um, the career transitions, which are just normal now, and the lifelong learning, which really has to be there if you're going to move through those career transitions. Yeah. And that's actually one of the things I really appreciate uh, growing up with um, a father who was a consultant and a business owner because he was always like learning the new tech. Like I remember we had, you know, a video camera on our old, like IBM white IBM computer. And we were playing around with that when I was like 10, it was just like, no one else had video cameras on their computers. It was just like a completely foreign concept at the time. And like that, I think that there's this, maybe that's one of the biggest sort of um, friction points um, between generations is that sort of um, technological uh, break. And it's kind of interesting because, you know, as I'm getting into my 30s, I'm starting to feel it. It's like I, I tried to do TikTok and yeah. I just ended up watching it for five hours. And I was like, I got to get off this thing. <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was supposed to make a TikTok, not watch a bunch of TikToks. And like, uh, and I, I just like, you know, I'll t I coach people who are incredibly worried about ageism all the time. And mm -hmm. I try to 
be as productive with that coaching as I can be because it can easily go into like just complaining about the world the same way like you know millennials were very my generation was very complaining about like boomer generations and things like that but at the end of the day like in my mind it's like well why do people have these perceptions and how do you preempt that assumption so that they you can almost like negate it from ever happening right so if you know someone's going to think something about you what can you interject in a conversation about Slack or about, you know, your way of working with technology that eliminates that concern in the job hunt specifically? And, um, and it's kind of, you know, unfortunate in some situations where I had, uh, I had one client who wanted to work in marketing communications and, you know, our first coaching call, I spent the entire hour just trying to show them how to use Zoom. And mm. I was like, if you want to work in marketing communications, like Zoom is the least of the things you need to understand. And so yeah. it's kind of like there, I feel like there's like younger folks who have these, like, I want to be a CEO and a director tomorrow. And it's like, maybe there's some things you have to learn before you get there. Right. And then when I speak with uh, older folks, they're like, well, I don't understand why no one's hiring me. And I'm like, well, there's maybe some technological gaps that need to be filled here. And I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, have you, with the example you gave, I think that that's like a perfect um, example, but are there any other things that people can do throughout their lives? Like whether you're young or you're old to just keep that, you know, if we're all lifelong learners, what are the core things that we should learn and keep learning? I think it's all about curiosity. Um, there's this, man chip Connolly, who's a big speaker in the intergenerational work conversation and he has a term that he calls a mentorn which is really for someone maybe over 40 or 50 who sees themselves as much um, as wise as he or she is curious and i think it's that balance of like understanding that you have a lot to offer and being generous with your knowledge, but also understanding that you'll never know everything and to stay curious and ask questions. Um, that's what really kills me the most. Like sometimes we'll see um, someone sign up for Circle because they're curious and they assume it's a traditional mentoring platform. And then they're like, like repulsed almost that they have to pay for the service because they just think that they're there to give. And it really hurts me because I'm like, I don't know if I really are, am in the place to teach you something now, because clearly you're closing yourself off to learning. You just think you're here to teach, but I think you're seeing things the wrong way. You know, I think if you go through life, assuming that uh, you're done learning and you're going to, you know, everything that you should ever know, um, it's really going to hurt you somehow, <laughs> maybe in your wallet, maybe in your relationship, maybe in your career. Um but I think that's really problematic. And I think that'll change. So if you are curious, uh, those kinds of questions about how do I use something or, or even Googling, like where can I learn how to use Zoom and watching you know, a YouTube video um, is great. It's, it can be as simple as that. And how many times have I Googled, um, how do I use Google Analytics or you know, ads on Google or all these things that felt really far outside my wheelhouse and that validation when you can literally watch a YouTube video and then do it. It's so rewarding. And I think there are little versions of that that we can do every day where we just, um, we ask questions, um, 
we keep learning, we use Google, and if Google doesn't work because it doesn't answer every question, especially those life, you know, those nuggets of wisdom about life, um, you know, then come to circle and, and learn it from someone who's been there, done that. Um, I think it's just looking for help and being open. I love that. I love that so much. And, and it really plays into the, um, the idea of networking as well, because we're always encouraging people to network. And, um, you know, when I'm working with younger people, the concern is like, I guess the concern is the same for most generations, but it's like, I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to network and look mm-hmm. stupid. I don't want to reach out to this person and not, not seem like I know what I'm talking about. And I would only assume that gets worse with age, right? You don't want to be in your fifties reaching out to someone who's maybe in their thirties and looking stupid, right. Or feeling like you're looking stupid. And so that is one of the biggest things that I try to encourage people to do is to approach it from that curious mindset, because that is the only way it's yeah. like, if you're curious, you won't look dumb because you're just asking questions about what you're excited about. If you're like trying to sound impressive, that's when people tend to go wrong. Yes. Yeah. And so I Absolutely. love that you're talking about this stuff because it, it's, it, and you're relating it to like our entire lives, right? If you stop being curious in your relationship, if you stop being curious in your family, if you stop being curious with your friends, like you'll lose things over time. And then yeah. you, you kind of see people isolate as they get older or we kind of become more tribal is, is what the articles all say. Um, do you mm-hmm. see any of that? Like, do you see people becoming more isolated as they get older or more tribalistic as they get older or anything like that? Definitely. Um, I think the pandemic has actually shown me firsthand what happens when you leave the office. Let's say, you know, ageism is so prevalent over half of Americans over the age of 50 get pushed out of long-term jobs before they choose to retire. And around that same age, if you look at 50, um, you know, maybe they're being pushed out of the office. So they lose their professional kind of daily connections that they make at the water cooler or, you know, at the cubicles or whatever. Um, But it's also a similar time to when um, if you have kids, they might leave home and you have an empty nest and you sort of lose ties to uh, their friends or their friends' parents and those school systems that maybe you were once part of. Um, and I think that's where we, those are like the impetuses that start to push us into these uh, reclusive, uh, disconnected lifestyles. And it really becomes like a downward spiral from there. So I think it's a reminder, especially as we've all experienced during the pandemic that when we lose these networks that are kind of built into life and structure of you know, your daily um, activities, you can feel lonely really fast. And I don't know what the statistics say about life you know, in 2021, but I know that before the pandemic, our youngest members of society and our oldest were the two most lonely groups. So there's definitely an, a loneliness issue and it's really dangerous when we start to lose our natural networks. Um, and if they happen, you know, that's kind of like maybe you start working for yourself um, like now I do. And I, I basically don't leave this apartment is what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Then I need to make the extra effort and join networking groups online. I just signed up for Y Combinator's uh, co-founder matching tool, which is just a great way to network with cool business owners. Um yeah, there's so much available. You just, again, have that curiosity to seek it out and find those networks. Yeah. And I think it's really important. I, I, I mean, I credit so much of my 
learn like as a coach you know i'm there to help the other person but i'm learning as much as they are in a lot of these conversations of like pitfalls to look out for in your career or like mindsets to not have in your career and all these different things and you know i think one of the way you talked about that it's like the oldest and the youngest are the ones who are the most disconnected and the most lonely it, it is a bell curve right it's like literally a bell curve and i'm sure if you look at some of the mental health stats and things like that it would reflect that as well um, and that's why, uh, you know, one of my favorite things about looking at life and looking at age, I have on my, on my whiteboard right next to me here, a hundred, a grid of a hundred circles. And, uh, I've filled in 33 of them. Cause that's how old I am right now. And oh. it says, what will you do with your 100 years? And I mean, who knows, I'll make it to hundred, might die before that, who knows? But <laughs> it, it's, it's fun to look at because like, you know, age, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, but like age one to 10 total, it's negate that age 10 to, mm. to 20, you know, kind of messy. <laughs> and like, and I look at like my actual productive, like really hyper-focused years, it's only a, you know, the last three to five of those, of those, uh, filled in dots. And, and what you see here is like so much opportunity. And it's funny. Cause I'll have people come over and they'll be like, that's the most depressing thing I've ever seen. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This is the most like motivating thing I've ever seen in my life. Cause it just shows like how much time we have as well as like, um, how little time we have <laughs> to connect with people and to really put ourselves out there and and pursue these things. And I think like, sometimes there's this like, I mean, it's easy to just binge watch Netflix. And I do, you just came out. Of course, my partner and I are going to watch it. But like, there's, yeah. there's so much out there that's helping people connect. And I just feel like there's this, this wall of fear that stops people from pursuing it. And maybe because I had anxiety early in my life, I'm like, anytime I'm afraid, I'm like, I guess I have to go do that now to overcome my anxieties. But like, what do you think are the things that keep driving you to do this work? What are the things that keep bringing you back and keeping you curious and excited? Uh, I mean, it's been hard. I think I was just writing to someone that um, when that term languishing got a lot of uh, traction, you know, people were talking about it. I actually felt really energized and I didn't relate to it. And I think I'm a little bit delayed um, in getting there. Cause I'm now like, okay, it's, you know, we're getting, what are we close to like two years of, uh, this strange new normal. And maybe it's just hitting me that this is my normal, right? Like I, I don't work at the company I worked at before the pandemic. And, um, my, my hours are so different in how I spend my time now. And I think, um, like it was interesting this morning before we got on this call, I spent a lot of time doing some customer service and checking in with our members and looking at some of our feedback results. We send a monthly feedback form and it was a really thankfully welcoming, good moment to be reminded of the impact. And um, I just posted a quote that I got in our inbox from one of our members just saying like, I can't put to words how much I learned in that one conversation from this younger person that I met. And that's the stuff that keeps me going where you're just reminded like there are real people who are looking for connection and opportunities to learn from different neurodiverse brains um, and to be able to give it is actually really incredible. Um, yeah, but it's very easy to fall out of it. And that's the thing I have to keep track of what, what keeps me going 
And um, sometimes it's a trip to the museum because that's going to keep me inspired and feeling creative um, when I need that. And sometimes it's just a look at the, the feedback survey and looking at all the good things that are happening when I'm not even there. You know, we just make these introductions and then they report back. I'm not in the room to hear it or see it. So I have to kind of seek out the reminder of the impact. Um, so yeah, that's the thing that really makes it. And I realize I've noticed when I start to feel really tired and burnt out, it's probably because I spent less time on the customer service and I, I'm sort of removing myself from the actual work that we're doing and more kind of on the admin, you know, the business stuff. Um, yeah, that's, that works for me. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and I think that's maybe one of the reasons that, that coaching has kept me so engaged is because it's that real time mm -hmm. feedback. I get to see it immediately. And I just love the fact that you're spending all this energy and all this effort helping people foster mutual respect between generations. Cause I feel like the narrative is not one of respect. It's one of clashing as, as most news cycle stuff, but um, there's no reason that you should if you're young, you should be bitter towards older generations. What you should be doing is learning from them and then applying those learnings to your unique context and trying to see what it looks like in today's day and age. So Charlotte, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, so excited to have people listen to this and maybe just like challenge themselves to reach out to someone who's not their same age and learn something new. Uh, if folks want to get involved with Circle or hear more about what you're working on, how can they find you? So check out our website. It's circle.co, C-I-R-K-E-L dot C-O. Uh, we're also pretty active on Instagram. Our handle is C-I-R dot K-E-L. Um, I love posting there. So yeah, check us out. Um, we're doing an event on November 3rd that I haven't even announced yet, but um, that's a great way to kind of get a sense of the community and the topics that really matter to us. I love it. Well, everyone go check it out. And Charlotte, thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much, Martin. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode today. I really appreciate your support of what we're building here at Career Therapy as we continue to try and explore the hidden side of modern work and tell some of the stories that maybe don't get enough light shed on them. If you enjoyed what you listened to today, I hope you will leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, subscribe to this wherever you're listening or watching on YouTube, Spotify, etc. And uh, share this with some friends who you know are going through similar experiences and looking to build their career and, and gain some insights along the way. Again, thank you so much for stopping by, and I wish you the best. I'll see you on the next episode.